Welcome to Living by Faith with Trillia Newbell. I'm your host, Trillia. And as always, I am so grateful to be here. Grateful to have you listening in wherever you're listening in. Um, I'm just so thankful. A few weeks ago, a listener emailed us at Living by Faith and shared that she was thankful for the program that day and that the topic had given her a lot to think about. Um, I love hearing from you. I love hearing how the Lord is using um, this program, but more important, how the Lord is touching your life and encouraging you in the faith and the faith journey that you are on. Anytime you want to, you can email us at livingbyfaith at moody.edu. I want to hear from you. That's livingbyfaith at moody.edu. The goal of Living by Faith is to help you do just that, live by faith. We cover the everyday life stuff. There's a lot going on in the world, but how we respond and walk uh, walk out our faith and how to walk out our faith right, <laughs> rightly, is it right or rightly, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our churches, it matters. It matters how we're living out our faith. Um, and today's topic hits right at home for me and will likely for you too. We are going to be talking about children's education, formation, and so much more. My guest today, Dan Olson, um, serves as a managing director at Anselm House, a center for Christian studies at the University of Minnesota. He um, And he also directs the Spreading Hope Network, spreading remarkable God-centered education for children of this city. He previously served as director of donor ministries for the Gospel Coalition and is also the illustrator and author of many children's book, which I love children's books, as you all know, as one, an author myself, um, including of The Treasures You'll Know and the just released The Runaway Sheep. Dan, thank you for being with us. Trillia, it's great to be on. Thank you so much for having me. I um, We were talking before the show even started about all sorts of various things about children's formation. But before we get to that, I love to have guests tell their pres- personal testimony because we all have a testimony and it always builds our faith to hear it. So could you share yours? Yeah, well, I'd love to. I, you know, I, I think you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I think that is a kind of a really important foundation. But uh, where I really, where faith really became my own is I was seven years old. And our family, I'm the youngest of four kids, our family was for three months living in Madison, Wisconsin. So I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We were living in Madison for a work trip. And, you know, I was this little kid. We were living and my my parents decided that we're visiting churches. So we visited a random church. And uh, you, you, some of your listeners will probably remember doing this as a kid. I took the little connection card in the pew and I was, you know, doodling on it. And I filled one out with my name, Dan Olson, and I checked two boxes. One was, I'm interested in learning more about Jesus. And the second box that I checked was, request a pastoral visit. Oh. And so then, so then as the, as the uh, offering plate was, was coming past, you know, we had never visited this church before. I put my, the card in the offering plate and my parents had no idea what I was doing. 
my siblings had no idea what I was doing. And I didn't think twice about it. I was just, you know, kind of being silly. And uh, the next day, the random pastor of this church mm. came to the door of the apartment that we were staying in and he knocked on the door and I was in my bedroom and I, I still remember like looking at through the window of the door and seeing his eyes and thinking, what in the world has happened? This stranger who is a shepherd over a flock took me a seven-year-old seriously. So he talked to my dad and to make a long story short, you know, he didn't come talk to me. My dad came talk to me and it was there that my dad and I had you know, a long conversation about what it means to, to follow Jesus. But ever since that day, uh, I've, I think because some, a stranger took my, you know, seven-year-old self seriously, um, uh, I've, I, I've, I began to take Jesus seriously and really walk with him for the rest of my life. So, okay. So this is absolutely, I don't know why this is affecting me so much, but there are tears in my, yeah. just what a precious, uh, just, it's, it's so encouraging. And, and that's a step of faith that this pastor took. He took his job so seriously. He took you seriously, mm -hmm. but I have follow-up questions because this is really remarkable to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you did mark that you were seven and did you have the understanding of where you lived? So you wrote down your whole address? Well, so I learned afterwards. So it happens to be that the pastor of this church had been a college classmate of my dad. So I didn't know this at the time. So I think, you know, I think pastor, his name was Dick Sisson. I, I learned this all later. Uh, and it was a little church called Middleton Community Church in Madison, Wisconsin. And I think he saw the name Dan Olson and he thought and he knew that my parents were visiting that day. And I think he probably called my dad and said, I'd love to come by and your son filled this thing out. And so uh, but ever since, I think it's it, I've always deeply appreciated the work that pastors do. And yeah. I think it has shaped. It's interesting. I think the way that the way we come to the Lord does, I think, shape our vocations for. Uh, serving him. Um, and I do think Absolutely. that coming, coming to faith as a seven-year-old and being, being taken so seriously, you know, by a pastor has, I think, uh, like, so I, you know, I, in our, in church every week now, I'm, you know, I'm 46 years old. I've got four kids who are in middle school and high school, but I still uh, volunteer once or twice a week as a teacher and singing music with, you know, four through eight-year-olds at mm. our church every week because i i i i know how how meaningful it was when an adult took me seriously when i was that age and i want to be a person who's taking their little hearts seriously because it's really uh. where you coming to faith in christ oftentimes as you know as all the research shows starts at these at these foundational ages yes so, at these but it was it started for me at that tender age too yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I just want to I'm I'm I do not want to take this into a children's ministry conversation. <laughs> However, <laughs> I will say that ch children's ministry has kind of gotten a bad rap. I don't know what it is, but it's seen as a lesser um it, at least maybe it's just in the circles that I run in and what I hear often and and it's just such a sweet reminder of how serious and, and how we can and should be teaching children 
um, the truth of God's word. And this is something that I, it sounds like has uh, been a foundation and a fo- formation of your life. So how did you go from this seven-year-old to now you've, you've, you have dedicated, it sounds like your life to that ministry of education and uh, helping in formation of children in their minds and hearts. And, and so tell us your journey a bit into your current work. Yeah. I mean, I think in addition to coming to faith, you know, at that, you know, early age or, you know, um, I also happened to be uh, formed in a Christian school that my parents had helped start in a small town that we lived in. And so I have lots of appreciation for, um, so, you know, elementary school, kindergarten through sixth grade had the chance to be formed in kind of a, a Christian school foundation. And um, I look back with real gratitude to to that. And so, um, you know, fast forward to being in my mid-20s after I went to college and seminary and after finishing seminary, kind of contemplated pursuing formal pastoral ministry, but ended up uh, after a little bit of work in the publishing world like you um, ended up as the director of development of an inner city Christian school here in Minneapolis called Hope Academy. And the school at the time was was quite small, but I think it, you know, the resonance with my own journey of coming to faith as a seven-year-old and the importance that Christian education had played in my own life um, what, you know, really animated my passion for helping uh, children who may not normally have the option of going to a Christian school to be able to do that. So Hope Academy was started um, to be kind of a opportunity equalizer of Christian education for low-income inner-city families in kind of an economically depressed part of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so yeah. for 10, 10 years, I was kind of in, in senior leadership. My, uh, my wife and I both, you know, wearing a lot of hats, doing whatever we could to kind of help make uh, an excellent Christ-centered education accessible for everyone. And so that was a big part of my kind of first career step. And I still spend time in my work uh, kind of advocating for for educational excellence um, and, you know, grounded in the gospel for children. Right. And and in many ways, I, I think that starts at home. And so I would love for us to just talk about some of the advice you might have for families to help form that kind of foundational moral formation in children. But but also when we return, because we only have about a minute left, I'd love to hear about, and I just do not know if I'm going to say his name right, John Amos Comenius, Comenius. <laughs> <laughs> say his name. Say his name. John Amos Comenius. That's so fun that you oh, picked up I'm on so, that. Yes, John. Well, because you have such a heart for education and accessibility of education, if he's the founder of our modern day education system, um, I would love to to hear more about your current hero and why and how how we can. Um, yeah, what what does that mean for the everyday person and how we walk out our faith? Like, what is, why is education important? And because I do think that's something that we we don't think about. We I don't know. I wake up and 
I send our kids off to school. I homeschooled for um, a year, but then, you know, we, we send them off to school and I am not always thinking about this aspect of, you know, I, I think about, okay, you're, you're going off to learn science and math and, and then I kind of can separate it from their, their moral formation and not, and, and let me step back. I don't separate what they're experiencing at school from their moral, but I can not think about education so much as a part of that formation. So I think it's important and I want to learn from you. So when we come back, Dan's going to help us understand education and why it matters to our faith more when we return. Welcome back to Living by Faith with Trillia Newbell. I'm your host, Trillia, and we have been talking about education and formation and really just getting to know Dan Olson and his life and ministry and why it's important for us to be thinking about these things as we're walking out our faith. Why should we be thinking about children's education and formation? And before the break, we were talking about um, John Amos Comenius. And have you heard of him? I had not, though I probably should have. He is, I believe, considered one of the founders or fathers of our modern education system. I could have that completely wrong, but Dan knows, so he's going to tell us. <laughs> um, but he has been someone who has inspired your journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about him and why? Yeah, well, I think a big part why a big part of why he's less known in the English speaking world is he his his first language was Czech, so um, he was a Moravian Brethren bishop in during the Thirty Years' War in Europe. So for your listeners, sort of his his time period was fifteen ninety two to sixteen seventy. So it's a long time ago. Yeah. But what's interesting about him? Anybody can look this up. No matter what kind of stream of educational theory you might find yourself in, people all view John Amos Comenius as the founder of kind of universal education. So today, I think we kind of take it for granted. So today we take it for granted that like everybody, you know, should be educated, like literacy, you know, all these things are sort of, it's sort of like a assumption that every person, whatever their faith background has, but in the 16th and 17th century, you know, formal education was not something, it was something really only reserved for kind of the elites and or the clergy. Right. right. So his, his, what's fascinating about his story is um, essentially his church and his nation uh, was destroyed through all of the factors that led to the 30 years war. But instead of, you know, taking up his sword and, and fighting amidst the, all, all the chaos that was happening across Europe, he viewed education as uh, the best hope for forming the next generation. And it was deeply grounded in his Christian convictions. Um, but so here's, here's a little quote from Comenius about, about the nature of the world. He says this, that according to God's design, this world to which we were sent at birth should be three things should be God's school, 
full of light, should be God's temple, full of piety, and should be God's kingdom, full of order and justice. So his what's interesting about Comenius is he was taken really seriously by all of the, the leading scholars of his day. People, people think he was offered the presidency of Harvard in America. It's a little bit contentious whether he actually was. He had, you know, you've probably heard the name, your listeners have probably heard of the name Rene Descartes. He was kind of the, a great philosopher. Yes. Comenius and Descartes had this like meeting and Comenius was like critiquing all of Descartes' ideas. Essentially, you know, the I think, therefore I am ideas <laughs> because he believed that Descartes' philosophy was sort of separating uh, the mind and the person from God's world. So Comenius was, he he felt like, and he, he believed everything like in Colossians that in Christ, all things hold together. So um, his vision was that the visible world is God's theater, you know, for re-enchanting vocations of God's image bearers designed for infinite happiness. And so the last 400 years of educational history, I like to see it as kind of a braided stream of John Amos Comenius's influence. You know, every English readers have been very, are very aware of the, you know, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Um, so that's kind of, you know, everybody's probably heard of Pil the Pilgrim's Progress. Comenius wrote uh, what is considered like the classic work in the Czech language. And it's called um, The Labyrinth of the World and the Paradise of the Heart. And yeah. it's essentially an allegory of the soul that most scholars believe that John Bunyan had read <laughs> or was aware of and sort of used ah. as kind of a, as like an inspiration. Um, and so it's a lot of his works have now been translated into English. So every, but, but what's interesting about Comenius as well is that he was the first person to do illustrated children's literature. Um, so he started in order to kind of make the truths of the scriptures accessible to young children. He, you know, it was, this was like a hundred years after the printing press and printing press, you know, most of the books for the first hundred years of the printing press were, you know, for adults who were already able to read. So he started doing books that were essentially readers and literature things. And he was really a advocate of vernacular language education instead of just Latin. Um, so he was, a, he was a, a Protestant figure, but he was also kind of an ecumenical figure. He was kind of taken seriously all around the world. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of Comenius, but whenever I talk to people in education and every parent or school leader today, I think Comenius himself, in terms of like the education that your children are receiving, he would ask the question, like, are your children becoming seaworthy? Like, are they, is their education full of light? Um, are they becoming temple worthy? You know, is it full of piety? You know, and are they becoming realm worthy? Is there, are they, is their vocation one of kind of committed a commitment to order and justice for the sake of, you know, the flourishing of their neighbors. So he's, he's an interesting figure, you know, secular uh, educational theorists, everybody gives Comenius a lot of credit. Um, but Christian education uh, in the West, uh, there's a lot of retrieval going on right now. And, but what's interesting about Comenius is he was, he was kind of, uh, you know, the world around him was crumbling. And he was trying to rebuild kind of the foundations of education. And I think in, in some ways today, you know, we kind of live in this post-Christian period. And there's so much concern right now about the the impact of 
um, you know, various influences in people's education. And I think Comenius is a good um, hero to retrieve for anybody involved in education today. He's a he's a fascinating figure for me. I think because I love children's literature and I love kind of big ideas, he's a person who kind of he took children really seriously. <laughs> mm. yes. And I think that's a real that's a rare a rare thing sometimes in the academy. Right. Well, it sounds like and and maybe I've misunderstood, but it sounds like for him or maybe for you that education would be more than self-improvement. <laughs> it would be beyond it's not thinking of just the self. It sounds yeah. like Yeah. Yeah, that's I that, think well, I think moral I think moral formation I think that he never I think you can never separate, you know, intellectual learning and moral formation are, are always designed and you know and God's designed to go hand in hand like um you know uh education of all kinds was from the very beginning designed to be grounded in piety and kind of governed by theological truths and then in the midst of that you know you're going to be learning things like he was a uh, he lived at a time period where he was uh, people talk about the school of thought that he was part of is like the encyclopedists. Like they were trying to learn everything about everything. So like the natural, like the three books that Comenius called the, um, the, uh, the universal books that God designed for us to read were the God's word, which was, you know, his revelation nature, you know, people talk about the two books and he, he, he included the human you know, the, like the, the soul or the conscience as the third book that we need to learn to read. And, you know, that very much accords with, you know, knowledge of God and knowledge of self. But he, you know, it's like all of whether someone's called to learn science or engineering or literature or psychology, these are all things that in, that in Christ, all things hold together. And Comenius's vision was that all of these things can appropriately be pursued in the light of the gospel. And so, um, you know, my work at, at the university of Minnesota with Anselm house, I'm, we're working a lot with, uh, grad students who are pursuing PhDs in astrophysics and, uh, you know, they're going to be doctors and that these vocations, you know, God calls us to all kinds of things, you know, like all truth is God's truth. And he calls us to pursue, uh, love of neighbor in various ways. And, uh, that this can be a form of, of mission and calling and ministry to, to neighbor that doesn't necessarily need to be just on Sunday morning or in a formal vocational call to pastoral ministry or to children's ministry, but to, but to, uh, to a vocation in, you know, the secular world and by secular, just meaning a, a, the sphere of, of God's rule for the sake of neighbor, you know, not, not in the formal work of the church. So, Anyways, I don't know if that, that, but that's why I, I'm excited about the work of Comenius, but it relates, I, you know, I guess I'd love to, you know, if, you know, share a little bit about, you know, for just thinking about your audience and the role of, you know, practical things um, around child rearing and moral formation. I'd love yeah, to maybe. I think that would be helpful. And because, because right now it's all kind of theoretical and, yeah. and yeah, and putting some feet to this would be helpful because because where where I was alluding to 
um, a few minutes ago was that it it sounded like like because you you had mentioned edu you had mentioned his desire for moral for- formation and justice, but also for the common good. And so, if if it sounded like I was hearing that he is thinking our heart transformation should help our neighbor. And also, mm-hmm. so, so I'd like to, to touch on that if that's true, but even if it's, if it's not, I think that um, it's, it's helpful for us to think about, okay, so, because so often I know for myself, I'm thinking, okay, you're going to get an education talking about my kids and you're going to maybe then go to, college and then you're gonna go and do this uh, and that or or you're maybe going to be a teacher or you're going to do that but it's not from what I'm hearing um just about the self and 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 so and I think that's important for us to explore and to think about um as we are are teaching our children and and frankly um, when I think about this, I think about the commandment to love God with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Even our mm-hmm. transformation um, to be more and more like Jesus isn't just about the self. <laughs> it's about loving our neighbor uh, and glorifying God in a broken world. And so I, I'd like for us to think through that. What does it look like as we are educating and equipping our children um, what does it look like it, for our neighbor? It doesn't matter. I think so. More when we return. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I am your host, Trillian Newbell, and we have been talking about education. And we've been talking about philosophy of education and history of education and a lot of theories. And uh, But now I think it's time to get practical. And to help us, I've got Dan Olson, who is going to help us understand what does it look like to practically apply all the things that we've been talking about. And specifically, I know you have a real heart for it fathers. So let's start there. Is there some advice you'd like to give to fathers as as we're thinking about um, these theories? Yeah, and I, I think here's, here's what I want to start. So think about this when you're, so I, I remember it was in church one Sunday morning when my kids were very small and the pastor, uh, you know, was, he was trying to call fathers. We're kind of in an, we were in an inner city church and there's kind of this crisis of fatherlessness and absentee fatherhood. And he sort of called the dads to sort of take charge over their home and not, not in like a, you know, commandeering sort of way, but in the, the Puritans used to call uh, fathers, they used the word governor to refer to the role that a father ought to, you know, a humble hearted father ought to play in the, in the home. And that word governor for me was, it felt empowering because uh, when my children were small, my wife, who's a psychologist and has been just, is like the greatest mom I've ever seen and did such an excellent job in the early years, you know, when they're tiny, raising them. But especially when my kids got to be two, three, four years old, all of a sudden, you know, my words and the things that I did were clearly viewed as so 
important, right? And so, and you want to take that really seriously as a dad. So the, a, th a thing to think about, I, you know, listeners can write down four words that as it relates to sort of like how moral uh, formation happens. One is there's, uh, I like to, Tim Keller uses this, Comenius would like this, a moral ecosystem. You're kind of creating a moral ecosystem as a, in, in a family. So there's a, there's a moral cosmology. That's one level. That's the highest level. Who we are, why we're here. That's like the big picture. But second, then there's moral instruction. So the, that's for, you know, for Christians, the authoritative text is the scriptures. But then third, the moral imagination, how that's formed is through the stories that we tell. And then the fourth level of a moral ecosystem is a moral community where character is modeled in practice. You need all four of these levels, the moral cosmology, moral instruction, moral imagination, and moral community. So for me as a dad, when I was, when my children were very, very small, I thought I need to, I need to be enchanting the world for my children in a way that's going to be uh, forming them to have hearts for Christ. So this is what it looked like for our family. Our, um, I, as a dad, I remember uh, we, I did a lot of things to try to build emotional memories with our kids. So a lot of that was reading books and telling stories together, right? So some of that was Bible stories, a lot of other, uh, you know, great little stories. And when I was, when, every night when my kids were very small, I used to tell what I called eyes, nose, brain, and socks stories. So each one of those words re represented one of my kids, eyes, nose, brain, socks. Those were the names of my characters. But almost every night, my kids would ask me to tell them an eyes, nose, brain story. We called them eyes, nose, brain stories because Annie, my youngest, hadn't been born yet. Um, and then when she was born, we needed to come up with a word for her. And so we called her socks, which is a little bit strange. <laughs> um, but our kids, it's, it's amazing. Children are just crave stories. Like I would start in on a story and I'd make it up as I went. And they were wondering what was happening next. And so then it's, a, it's amazing how... And you probably, everybody probably who's had kids has done this. You sort of make up a story and you sort of ask yourself, what is it about us, the way we're made, where we can invent a story, right? It's amazing. We're sort of narrative creatures. Like we live, we sort of find ourselves able to sort of tell stories because we're meant to be, we're meant to find our identity in God's story, right? We're sort of story yeah. creatures. So telling stories, reading stories. Obviously going to, you know, worshiping together, which is a you know prayer, but then family devotions, I think are really important. We, we use something called the new city catechism. Um, and, uh, as in our home kind of family devotions and the new city catechism also has songs associated with each of the questions and answers and for the children's version. And they're very easy. And it's amazing how music kind of has the effect to lodge moral instruction in the imagination of a child. Um, so you find ways to attach, you know, the, the moral instruction of the scriptures, you know, probably people all know all the various kinds of you know, slugs and bugs. There's all these scripture songs online. Those things are such valuable tools. Um, but as dad, as dads being involved in the bedtime conversations of your kids is really, really important. So every night still to this day, um, you know, now it's probably three or four days a week where I go up and I pray for each of my kids at night and sort of try to sit and talk with them. Um, and then personal one-on-ones. I, when my kids were really small, um, every Saturday uh, morning, starting when they were maybe three, I would take them out for breakfast one-on-one. -on -one. So I've got four kids and, you know, 
some families are much bigger, some are smaller. For me, it was, you know, every Saturday I would go out for breakfast. And the whole point of that time for breakfast, and when my kids were like four, you know, you're sitting there with a donut and a cup of coffee and they have a glass of orange juice. And it's hard to know how to make conversation with a four-year-old. But just the fact that your dad is taking you seriously and uh, sitting across from you for 45 minutes, all that does is it's building emotional memories for the kids. Even if you as the dad don't really know how to have a conversation with a four-year-old. And, uh, but a big part of it is getting down to their level. I think that's the most important advice I would give to dads is you need to get down to the level of your kids, get on, you know, wrestle obviously with them. Um, but, but ask them about the world that, that they're seeing. Um, because that, you know, the kids being known and, um, you know, kids come, children come out of the womb and their eyes are hunting of being recognized, right? They're looking for the connection to their mom. And it's so important. The, the, that moral orienting happens, uh, you know, in the family. Um, and so it's really important for dads to do that. Yeah. So as I'm listening, I, there are two things I'm thinking. One is this is such encouraging and good and practical advice for parents of young children. And then I kept thinking of this, um, I don't know, you know how you have medicine and, and, and the label will say results may vary. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Every child is different. That's for sure. Every child is so Every child is an unrepeatable miracle, an unrepeatable miracle. Unrepeatable miracle. So one of the things that I'd like for you to do as we are about to head into the break is encourage encourage the parent who maybe they've done these things and those results have varied and they are discouraged. They they have, you know, we, we talked about your lost, we have not actually talked about your book, The Lost Sheet. Um, yeah. But what, what do we, how do we encourage the hearts of parents who m- ha- might say, I've checked those boxes, but my child has not, is wandering. How do you encourage their heart? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's important for us all to know that we're all prone to wander, right? That's the, I think that's, it's almost the natural orientation of the human heart is to sort of turn away from and walk away from that's in the condition of the fallen world. My, what I oftentimes say to parents who are in, you know, settings of concern is that it is, even when your kids are really small, like God has no grandchildren. I think it's, it's God only has children and God is the one, you know, God is the shepherd who runs after the lost sheep and uh, the best thing that a parent can do who um, who has entrusted their child to the Lord is to pray that the Lord will. I remember I have a brother who had a very wayward period and my parents used to pray that one, he would be uh, he would be found out and brought to justice for the things that he was doing wrong, which did happen, um, and that he would um that others would come into his life who would point him to Jesus. And they knew that they weren't, they needed to have it reinforced by other people that were followers of Christ. Well, amen. We need Jesus and we need others. More when we return.
about education and formation and dads raising kids. There's a lot in this episode. So here's what I'd like you to do. We also, this radio program, it's a podcast, so you can listen back later. And I'd like to encourage you to do that because there's so much in here. I think you would benefit from going back from the beginning and listening to all that we have been talking about. Our next conversation will be about his books. He has written several books and illustrated, and his latest book is The Runaway Sheep. And so, Dan, tell us about The Runaway Sheep. Yeah, the idea for The Runaway Sheep actually was inspired by a kind of a maybe somewhat lesser known classic children's book called The Runaway Bunny by an early 20th century author named Margaret Wise Brown. So some people will be aware of her book, Goodnight Moon. It's kind of one of the yes. kind of a strange incantation book. But um, but The Runaway Bunny in the storyline, the little bunny wants to run away from her his mother and he becomes a trout a rock a bird a crocus a boat a trapeze artist and the whole time in in the story kind of the the mother bunny kind of becomes all these different things and pursues the child and at the end um the little bunny stays home and it ends with the the mom saying have a carrot and so like the little bunny stays with his mother well i sort of read that and it 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 struck me as and it people have made the connection that it's kind of an allegory of the soul um, in, you know, kind of a mother being pursued. And the the mother in the book clearly has this kind of cosmic divine feature to it. And Margaret Wise Brown herself was a very strange person and had a, has a very weird life. She was a little bit of a radical bohemian. So um, she had some funny ideas. <laughs> so I sort of thought, well, this would be a way to let's make a gospel parody about this. So the, and obviously the shepherd, right, in, in the scriptures, the the picture of us being sheep is so foundational. And so um, I wrote The Runaway Sheep uh, to follow the storyline of the Bible. And in the in the book, the shepherd is in pursuit of his rebellious sheep. And, you know, it's interesting. We live, people now, everybody's talking about deconstruction and all of the ways in which you know people are running away from, from faith in different ways. And this is not new, right? Um, in, in my book, I would say the sheep kind of represents the bride of Christ. Um, yeah. And it takes the form of the runaways in the Bible, Adam and Eve, Jonah, Peter, Paul, all of Israel. And at every turn, God pursues by actually becoming a dove who brings the branch to uh, Noah and the ark, becomes a whale who dives down and gets Noah, becomes a rooster who crows three times to awaken Peter to his... Uh, running away from Christ and becomes a storm. And, and then in the book, you know, the, the, uh, the shepherd becomes a baby to be together with the, uh, a, an ox in the warmth of the hay. And then at the end, the little sheep decides to stay with the shepherd who offers rest in me. So I, I feel like, you know, a mother bunny can give a carrot, but Jesus can give everlasting rest. So I wrote the book as an inspiring, hopefully bedtime book for for parents to be able to read with their kids to help their help parents um, point their kids to the sheep. And the, you know, the, the, the verse that's at the beginning of the book is the, the verse, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, 
Will he not leave right. the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And so it's a, uh, you know, we, we all like sheep have gone astray, right? Each of us has turned to his own way. Right. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we, the point of the book is to try to create a tool that is beautiful and also that um, will be an encouraging uh, tool as um, people are putting their kids to bed. The fun thing about the book is my, I have a friend who's like a very gifted bluegrass musical artist named Jake Armerding, who we went to college together. And he actually wrote a beautiful song that's kind of an accompanying song called The Shepherd's Lullaby that mm -hmm. in the back of the book, you can scan it. It's a free download um, and it's a little book meant to accompany um, or a little a song meant to accompany the book. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was a really fun thing to collaborate on with him. That is, so it's a, that it's, it's been, a, it's been, it's probably, these books have been kind of little labors of love as side hobbies. My other book, Oh, the treasures you'll know is a, a parody of Dr. Seuss's Oh, the places you'll go and trying to help. I undermine a little bit of the, the 20th and 21st century. <laughs> a historian described this period as uh, Leonard Marcus is his name. He described the 20th and 21st century with children's literature as a shape-shifting influence of American progressive educators on the invention of books for children. So there are so many books out there that are, um, I would say are, and this is just a word for parents, not, not, not to evoke fear, but to encourage discernment that there are lots and lots of books on the shelves of the libraries that you go to that I would say do not necessarily reflect the moral cosmology or the moral instruction of the Christian faith that you seek to pass down to your children. And so oh, yes. just be, yes. be careful and also be prepared as you're reading books that you might have on your shelves. This was the experience I had is I always felt like I was, because there are so many interesting stories, um, but Dr. Seuss and Margaret Wise Brown, I think the, the words that they both used to describe themselves in their work was creative nonsense. And uh, and I would say children are serious creatures designed for an eternal destiny with the Lord. They are not, uh, we shouldn't be distracted by pure creative nonsense. Um, that uh, the life of faith is, it can be fun. It can be joyful. It can be full of adventure, right? But it is a serious thing to be a human being. You know, uh, C.T. Studd, famously said one life to live will soon be passed only what's done for christ will last yes. and yes i believe that it's um very important that our kids uh have their moral Im imagination formed with both the joy and the hope of the gospel but and the but also the seriousness of of life that we are called to a it's a high calling to be um uh, a future king in the court of the, the sovereign ruler of the universe. Absolutely. And one of the things that Moody Publishers, I am the acquisitions director at Moody Publishers, we we focus in on that. We have a middle grade series of books that help uh, kids study the Bible because I believe if you can learn geometry, you can learn the Bible. And so I think often we don't uh, in the church assume we assume that children can't learn or understand the the big truths of the bible but they can and they can. 
Yeah, and and I also try to, in my own children's books, write up because I believe children they they can be challenged to understand they and can. grow and learn. Yes, and so I. I wanted to read a portion of your book, but we have run out of time almost. So instead, tell people how they can get to know you. Where can they find you? Yeah, probably the best place to get to know some of the children's literature that I've written is at tenofthose.com, tenofthose.com. Ten Publishing is the publisher that's published the books. I am not very active on social media. Uh, my day job involves spending a lot of time with supporters and you know meeting with people in person and consulting with educational leaders and I'm not I don't have a big social media presence in many many ways so but you can find oh the treasures you'll know and the runaway sheep at any place that books are sold but 10 publishing um 10 of those.com would be a place to go there's a there's a neat little read aloud video that 10 of those did in an author in interview with me that you can find on YouTube um at 10 of those um and then uh, The Shepherd's Lullaby by my friend Jay Garmerding can be downloaded. Uh, you can find a link on the YouTube video, um, but it's stickshiftrecords.com slash The Shepherd's Lullaby. Um, but all go right. to 10 of those. You can read all about the books. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a, um, I get the thing I would probably, uh, I sort of maybe the, a word, a final word of, uh, of encouragement to your listeners, I've always seen my vocation as a sheepdog. So if you think of like the, if Jesus is the shepherd, right? Trying to gather sheep. I think anybody who's a parent or a pastor or a leader, I think it's common for people today to sort of think, oh, children are gonna find their own way, but no, like the shepherd has dog dogs that kind of round, <laughs> round up around the sheep. And I think it's good to think of your life as not as you are a sheep yourself, but also like think of yourself vocationally as a sheepdog. Like you are, yes. God, Jesus we wants are us sheep to dogs. be a part of, <laughs> of gathering the gathering the flock. Yes, which we are sheep sheep ourselves. Yes, so. Amen. I'd like to thank my guest Dan Olson for joining me today. Also, thanks to the behind the scenes team at Moody Radio, my engineer Bob Moreau, my producer Karen Hendren, and Laura on the phones. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at livingbyfaithradio.org or on the Moody Radio app. You may contact and connect with all of us at Trillia Newbell. Living by Faith is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Yeah.